G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am not your host again today for this week's a Grad Chat. So as we did last week, uh, Sue Yin Olgan, otherwise known as the DJ Bear, will be hosting again and putting me through the ringer as to what happened this year. So a bit of a wrap up, but also looking into what we're going to be doing in 2021. And I know we're all very, very excited to see 2021 arrive. So with that, what I would like to do, I am going to hand over to uh, Sue Yin to take it from here and put me again on the hot seat of being on the other side of the table. So Sue Yin, welcome to Grad Chat. <laughs> I've been holding this laugh <laughs> for the entire intro. Thank you. Welcome back to you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you very, very much for having me on the show. <laughs> it's we, a pleasure. We, we like to get a bit silly towards the end of the year, as you can tell, but uh, it's all good fun. It is all good fun. And I think if it's important to laugh. I said that in my second to last <laughs> grad chat with the together. So I think that, yes, it is very important to laugh and we always have a good laugh. And it's time to just wrap up the year and send off good cheer into the new one. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really well. And actually, as I, I mentioned, I am looking forward to 2021 because it's been an interesting year, as, as we said in the last session. But so much has happened. We still had some great research that's been going on, but you know, it's, this year certainly has tested everybody to see how how good they are getting through adversity. I guess, and I I, th I think we should give us, ourselves a pat on the back because I think we've all done really really well. And so, I mean, like you said, we're talking about laughing. Is I can't get by a day without having to laugh because if I don't laugh, it gets it gets the day gets too heavy. So it's good that we can laugh and we can look back. And I can imagine actually in about 20 years time when we look back at this and go, do you remember the year 2020? Yes. And then we can probably all remember it was the, the pandemic year. Mm -hmm. But the other part is still some amazing research was done during that period of time, which we should all be very, very proud of. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you never know when you're going to get your next student guest is going to be doing research on laughter and the impact on overall well, health. I, th I, I think that would be brilliant. Right. And I'll put my hand up as being a subject. <laughs> Me too. Perfect. Speaking of research and the impact on health, some of our graduate students who did graduate this year talked about the research and how it creates an impact on the community. And I know that that is, it's really general to say because there is a broad range of topics and initiatives and involvements, right? So there's such, so many ways of how this research can create that impact or help develop solutions or improve someone's quality of life. Mm -hmm. So let's just start with the physical science. Are you ready for your quizzing time? <laughs> I think so. Okay, great. Hit me with it. <laughs> All right. So remember, physical sciences. Physical. Okay. <laughs> so can you give the audience some examples of students who you interviewed this year, 2020, whose research aims or has focused on improving the overall individual health or quality of life? 
All right, so a, a couple of things. Um, we could go straight to just a few weeks ago when we had Bailey Brandt on the show. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Bailey was doing is doing a Master of Science in Neuroscience. But he was also his, – his research topic was to do with um, – irritable bowel syndrome or IBS as it's called and looking at the pain of that and and how diet affects IBS Mm -hmm. in particular uh, MSG monosodium glutamate so he was looking at how that particular substance can affect the pain of people who have got irritable bowel syndrome and so if they can figure out being a neuroscientist if they can figure out where that particular point around the guts that were, you know, the, the neuroreceptors, if they can sort of help block that in some way or find out that, say, for instance, MSG is causing it, mm-hmm. then it makes common, it's common sense. If something's causing this, get it out of your diet. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, but if, the, but if they know it's definitely that particular product, it makes it easier for us to say, yes, well, we can take that out of the diet. So it's trying to find out ways like that. But then there's other sorts of things where uh, Olivia from Rehabilitation Science, and Rehabilitation Science has been doing some amazing, amazing work over the years. Mm-hmm. And she was looking at, if I remember rightly, producing a community-based water exercise program for people who have had strokes. When people have had a stroke, there's a lot of rehabilitation therapy that they need to go through to help them either get their speech back or their um, movement back, things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's done within the hospital system, which puts a strain on the hospital system too, because once they leave hospital, then what? You know, do we want them to come back to the hospital and take up more time in the hospital? Or is there something in the community that they could be transitioning into? And so, of course, Olivia was looking at creating an exercise program in water, which we all know, you know, working in water can be great because it's non-weight bearing, makes it easier for movement to happen. Mm -hmm. So she's creating this water rehabilitation therapy that people can do and train some people within the community that can help them help these stroke victims continue their therapy which is fantastic so rather than stressing the hospital system bring it out in the community finding a place in the community and training people to be able to continue that so those sorts of things are really really good but then on the flip side of that also, Candy Rodenbow, also from one of our newer programs, uh, our Doctor of Science in Rehabilitation Health Leadership. And she was looking at it from a different angle, not as the person who is being treated, but looking at the therapy assistants, how can we better train them to be able to cope with what they have to do in their, in their training? So she's looking at life skills training for them and therapy assistant students. So, you know, it's not easy sometimes um, coming into an area and being a support system. There's a lot of things that, are, you know, you have to do as a support person. You have, first of all, you have to listen to the people above you who are saying, no, I need you to do this, this and this. But then you've also got the patient that you're looking after. And that can be quite traumatic at times of how you fit in, not just in working with that, but also learning all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's not easy as we know as you probably know as a student there's lots of things that go on you got sometimes there's financial hiccups that you have sometimes it's things going on at home out of your control such for you for instance Ian, you've had to look after a kid at home most of the year to homeschool yeah. you know and that gets in the way of what your your prime objective was for, for that year well the same can happen with some of these students where you know how well are they coping so what can they do to help them get through that because a lot of these students are going to make fabulous therapy assistance they just need to be given a chance to be able to do it in a way that's comfortable for them and um, with with less stress so there was those sorts of things as well and then there was also Jennifer Rittinger, I think that's how she says her last name, I'm totally bad at names. She was in epidemiology, um, doing a PhD, and she was looking at, there's a lot of people who do night shift work, which is inevitable for some employment, mm-hmm. but looking at how night shift work and the melatonin and the, the sleep cycle has a direct impact potentially on the development of breast cancer. So as we know, for instance, nurses and that do a lot of night shift work. Mm -hmm. And as we know also, breast cancer is one of the most common cancers among women in Canada Mm -hmm. and globally, actually. So I'm just trying to think. She was looking at the timing of how much, how many days can you go with changing the cycle and then of course a lot of times people on night work then they take a few days off and then they change their cycle back to what we all perceive as this is the day and this is the night time to sleep and then they're having to flip so she's looking at how much the times of that works and how does the the lack of getting melatonin and things um, have an impact on you getting potentially getting breast cancer so she said it a lot better than that, of course. <laughs> There's a lot more to it. But that was roughly the gist of it, if I remember it correctly. <laughs> a rather correlation between how much night shift work you do and potentially getting um, rest or being more susceptible to, to breast cancer. And of course. And you know what? This is exactly why we're doing this right now. Because our listeners can always access the past episodes through the Google Podcast iTunes and Stitcher and of course CFRC podcasting yep very good <laughs> there's a plug right there but absolutely I think that 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 is amazing great answer to DJ thank, thank you you know talking about Bailey's research and and Jennifer's research and Candy's research and you know there's this pattern that we see that the studies on on human health have very strong links to the our environment and and you know that that includes the social components includes the biological components the environmental components right it's 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 really how individuals experience the world and how those surroundings affect their experience and shapes their life and their health mm-hmm. so i guess my next question is can you give us some examples and again from students who came to the show this year whose research is focused on improving the condition of the environment. And through that research, through improving that condition, improve the health of the individual, the health of a community, or a relationship with with it. Well, a couple come to mind, and um, they were were really quite in-depth. And in terms of looking on the mental side of things, there was Joshua Jones, who also was doing a PhD in environmental studies. And he was... Uh, looking at the emptiness of ecological loss and extinction 
And basically what he was there trying to do was to rethink the notions of ecology and extinction so that we can, you know, better understand the connections they have to emptiness Mm -hmm. um, and and as well as exploring the ramifications of emptiness for both the human and more more than human world. So that was sort of something that was very different for me to sort of get wrap my head around because to me that's quite a, a little bit of philosophy type stuff, but also looking at environmental um, things. And and I think what I liked about that is in, in this year of the pandemic, mm-hmm. when, we, when we put the cars away because we weren't traveling as much and went for more walks and things like that, although I must admit I didn't, um, what was nice is to see just sitting in in the even in your backyard with the you could hear more birds singing you could see well in my backyard I could, there was more rabbits and things running around than, yes. than normal and it was like it was a time for pausing and mm-hmm. if nothing else the pandemic's done allowed us to stop and pause and say okay let's take a deep breath what is going on? What can we be doing to make this world a better place for us? Because clearly with the fact that we can, it's so much easier to travel these years than it was 200 years ago, the things like a pandemic spread so much quicker. So let's take a pause. And with that pause, what was also able to do with that is that the environment was fixing itself. So we talk Mm -hmm. about climate change, the effects of climate change. Well, just in nine small months, there's parts of the environment that has fixed itself. Yeah. Like I said, there were more bird, birds and little animals running around. And before you wouldn't see them because the roads were too busy. Mm-hmm. I saw wild turkeys. Back. Yeah, so now they're coming back. So there's little things like that I thought was absolutely fascinating for me. Um, and then there was like M- Megan Tucker in education. She was doing a Master of Education, um, called herself a bit of a tree hugger, really, if I remember looking <laughs> at the, um, you know, the, the experiences that inspires one to be an environmentalist. And I think, you know, again, the pandemic totally showed that and it makes you sort of sit in the, in the woods and go, wow, isn't this beautiful? what I'm sitting around and, and, you know, why do we have to have our life so busy all the time and full of destruction, really? And so, you know, she was, she was talking to environmentalists and, they're, you know, and getting their stories, looking at how we fit in with the natural world. And I thought that was, that was beautiful, um, some of that. That's true. And then, and then I guess the other ones were things like there was, was our students from the master of planning program and what they were doing they've been helping the the city planners (laughs) and so looking at the transport system around the the countries of you know what transport systems are are working and how to make them continue to work during a pandemic where we want people off the road but people still need to get to work so you know how can we keep the public transport going but still protect people along the way and then, of course, I think Stephen was talking about the quiet streets in Kingston that they're, they're looking at. Of it's, it's nice to be able to see the kids play. Yes. Go out and play. But when the, when the roads are too busy, it gets really dangerous. So looking at in, in places in Kingston where they can block off or at least have areas in the suburbs where the roads are quiet roads. So um, and reducing it to cars in that neighborhood being able to go up certain roads so the kids can play and sort of go out onto the street and as I mentioned in in the session I think was you know you always see these pictures of of Canada and I was in Australia of 
kids playing street hockey. <laughs> it's hard to play street hockey when there's too many cars on the road. I mean, I know you can yell out car, but if there's car after car after car, then you really can't play it at all, not in a safe way anyway. So there's all the bits and pieces like that that our students have been doing, which I think has been fantastic. And then even even looking at, you know, how do we support children who are born into military families? And as we know, with military families, they get moved around a lot, mm-hmm. particularly in the beginning when they're when they're where the, the parents are young in the military. So, but moving around means it's harder for these kids to get to know really good friends. Yeah, like a lot of us will remember have at least one friend that you went all the way through primary school and high school together. It's very hard for them because they're moving all the time. So looking, so Shannon Hill was in rehabilitation science again, was looking at, you know, how can we help that transition um, moving from school to school, if I remember right. I'm pretty sure that's what it was about. It was definitely to do with the kids and, you know, what are they, how are they feeling each time they move and how do we get them to feel settled and and things like that. Right. Um, Oh, Alistair Kirov? Yes, in chemistry, he was looking looking at contaminated soil and and finding out what is leaching out of the soils and things, mm-hmm. uh, which then of course could get into any of our water systems and things like that as well as as, as also within continuing the soil. And so, you know, I love the way that your your brain makes these connections in the order of the the research that you're talking about because you know you were just coming out of talking about having time outside especially during this or during the lockdown and in many ways just when you mentioned Alistair's research part of that research included you know determining what are these hazards because the exposure is for people who work and play or live in contact with this soil right and they don't know that that's what's happening so this we all interact with everything, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, we interact with the environment. The, interact, the environment is interacting with us. Well, often, unfortunately, we are the cause of a changing environment for good or, for good or bad. Yes. And so it's really, really important if we, if we want to be a part of nature mm-hmm. and be able to enjoy nature, then we've got to find better ways of, that we don't destroy what's around us as we're doing because urbanization does that it takes over areas yes and I, I i think that in many ways sometimes the concept of taking care of the environment or global warming or <laughs> mindfulness meditation all of those keywords right self-care understanding exactly what that entails it's important so we can do that for ourselves and engage directly with with this these principles, I suppose. And yeah. when you were talking about that angle of approaching processing of laws um, through a multidisciplinary approach, including philosophy, right, that, that connects back to that idea of understanding yourself, understanding how we process emotion, how grief and loss works, yes. and how doing that in understanding that part of human experience, then we can really be learn to be engaged and learn to take care of ourselves and our environment. Uh, but I think that it is a fundamental component in knowledge to, to really understand the way we, th- our bodies work, our minds, and these principles, what they mean. So I find yeah. mo- this multidisciplinary approach 
allows for those conversations to, to happen. Well, it's interesting because it kind of leads into some of the research that was being, has been done this year mm-hmm. on protecting um, animals and birds and things because we had yes. Rachel in Geography and Planning who was looking at you know, migration of birds and things and are they still migrating in the same way and if not, why not? So, you know, climate change has a good deal to answer for that. But then you've got people like Malika, who is in environmental studies, and she was looking at counting the numbers of birds that hit windows. I mean, with part of urbanisation, mm-hmm. have more buildings, but some of them, particularly the newer buildings, love to have lots of glass, which is really nice for us to get the light in, but it's actually treacherous for birds because they don't realise that it's a window and so often they fly into these windows that's right so the things that we can be doing there and then of course we've got one of my favorites of the year and i know i'm not allowed to have favorites when siobhan came on was talking about the monkeys down in costa rica and again, the habitat is getting changed down there so we need to mm-hmm. preserve and uh, have conservation areas and so she's looking at how well those ones are, are actually doing so there's lots of things that have been going on that eventually will affect all of us and it's just been fascinating on that but then but then you also talked about you know the philosophy of being in one and and, and also of you know the losses and, mm-hmm. and things that we've had well you know because this has been brought up a lot this year too we have quite a few students who are working on research that works with uh, various Indigenous communities and, and some yes. of our students are Indigenous themselves. So, for instance, was it Sherry Dutton from Public Health Sciences looking at the use of arts based methods in health research? And so, working with one of the northern communities using art to help inform and teach and things. So, using that kind of method, which, you know, it works for some communities but not others. And that's the point is that it's not one way and only one way of teaching there's lots of different ways of teaching and so we have to be aware of that and and work on the ones that work best for that particular community at the time Mm -hmm. but we can also learn a lot from the indigenous teachings and we need to listen a lot more to a lot more to that then of course Liv Rondo who's in education she's working with Dr Lindsay Morecambe and looking at language revitalization and talking about indigenous languages which we know a lot of them have been lost and so she's looking at working on that and that is fabulous because there's so much going on um, both in Canada and around the world of how can we bring back a lot of those lost languages? And actually, I read an article the other day in the conversation about an old diary that was found in Australia back from the early 1800s of this this gentleman who, in a certain part of New South Wales, happened to go along and write down, luckily, all the names, the indigenous names of the rivers and certain parts of that particular landscape. Mm-hmm. And someone's just found this book. So now they're working with the Aboriginals of that particular area and going through and re-documenting and looking to see can they rename these rivers and creeks and things to put them back to their traditional names. And all this is just, you know, someone is fascinated about it. And, you know, let's, let's put some of these names back to what they used to be. 
Um, and so those sorts of things I find absolutely fascinating. And then, of course, you have other Indigenous things. I'm talking about more about the environment. It was Sarah Flissakowski, who I have been trying to, I'd been trying to get onto the show for quite a while because I knew she was working with polar bears. That just piqued my interest right from the get-go. I thought, polar bears? I know. Talk about awesome. So awesome. Anyway, yes, yeah, so she was looking at up about there up north of, you know, looking at a traditional ecological knowledge and then polar bear management or how to look after the the polar bear populations and urban communities, which aren't big, but they're still there, and the changing Arctic environment, because as we know, the Arctic environment is is shrinking. Areas where the polar bears would normally go are no longer there. So, of course, they're coming further inland, inland and getting closer to settlements and things. And so it puts everyone in danger, both the settlements and the polar bears. So... Absolutely. One of my favorite things about Sarah's research is that she includes that importance of including Inuit understandings. So understanding the health of the polar bear has so much impact on preserving so many aspects of Inuit cultural and spiritual and economical forms of knowledge. It just goes to show all these things, how there's so many connections that we all have to be aware of. And and I find it fascinating, but I'm th- so thankful that they're looking at these subjects to bring it to everyone's attention. We've done a lot with Indigenous communities, uh, which has been fantastic. So that is such a great research day that we have. And it's fascinating because we use grad students, but we also bring in people from the community to talk about different things as well of you know the research ethics. I mean, our normal research ethics doesn't necessarily work in the same way as as we think it should in indigenous mm-hmm. communities. It's a very different process. But I think one of the other things is, and it was, I guess we can kind of segue into this. If you don't mind, I'm just going to put that in. It's okay. It's the, your show. Thank you Go very on. much. <laughs> I jack it back. <laughs> I know. Oh, total control. <laughs> We've had quite a bit on this year too about diversity and inclusiveness and things like that. And and some of it has been heightened because of the Black Lives Matters and, and other things that have been going on around the world. But they were always here at Queen's, but we didn't necessarily know a lot about what was going on. And so luckily the show was helped us um, bring some of that to the fore, which is fantastic. For instance, mm-hmm. um, I know you're a part of Scholars of Colour at Watson Hall, and Watson Hall, for those of you who don't know, has English history, philosophy, and classics in their building. And um, so we had some of the some of them from Scholars of Colours, including Su Yin and Jordan and Safa and Aprajita, come on and talk about you know why they put their little their little group together so they can. You know, help each other as um, students of colour, help help each other navigate uh, research, navigate being a grad student, navigate in terms of supporting each other along the way. And, of course, and then they'll also look at what kind of resources are available to them. So, you know, they're being – the scholars of colour at Watson Hall, like yourself, you're being – proactive and finding ways of sort of helping each other which is fantastic and then of course with that and talking about diversity and inclusiveness and there was a number of you that came on this year who 
talked about, for instance, in, in the English language and literature program, there was a few of you, um, who was it? Rachel, looking at Asian mixed race identity creation in contemporary North American literature. Mm-hmm. And what she was saying was that there's a lot of great literature out there, but there's not a lot of literature that's showcasing. Mm-hmm. And so where, where does she fit? Where does she see herself in these stories? So that was interesting. And yes. then the same with um, Safa. Mm-hmm. who was looking at the cultural production of Muslim youth after 9-11 yes and and so that was interesting to see so once again is how do you how do Muslims shape the identity of young Muslims um, who have not known the world prior to the events of 9-11 so you know bringing yes. that out to us that's great because there's other parts to that too because we had a couple of students that came on who talked about kind of like inequities in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense, like Cheryl Bruce, who is a PhD in cultural studies, just came on recently and mm-hmm. talked about the inequity of hiring of women to be conductors uh, within Canada mm-hmm. um, and, and conductors for, for, the, for orchestras, like full-blown orchestras and even chamber orchestras and things. So there was that side of it. But then there was Sophia uh, Melendez in education again. She's only doing a master's. Mm-hmm. But looking at improving the education that mental health professionals are given to to understand people on the transgender spectrum. Yes, that's right. Which is also very, very important. Another community that at times have been um, mis, misrepresented mm-hmm. um, and, and not necessarily understood. But they're very, you know, all these different groupings are so important to our whole com- our community as a whole. No, it's great, and and then even even this year, the the book that we had for Queens Reads, mm-hmm. which is called the other side of the game, which was a play, that was fascinating too because it's looking at a young lady in, in a black community who wanted to be an activist and things, and so that that brought up all those different parts. But it, again, it was something that Queens as a community we could read it, we could get involved in some of the programming that. Clarissa de Leon did and she was she's been running some of the the programming for Mm -hmm. Queen's Reads this year and we'll and we'll be doing it again next year so just all these sorts of things it the pandemic came it got us all to pause a little bit it made us have to readjust uh, the way we were living and the way we were doing things and particularly as a student as I mentioned last week is that how much you've had to reorganize where you are in your in your work and sometimes you you are you could move on as normal it didn't affect you in the same way as say someone who is uh, some people who had to were meant to be going on field work and things like that so the pandemic has made us sort of take a pause and readjust how we um, how we are today and and some ways it's been, it showed us how good we are at um, handling adversity Um, otherwise it's shown us how flexible we can be and we go okay well I can't do that but let's rethink about how I can still make it productive for me and and change things slightly may not have been exactly what you wanted to do but you've still come out with a great product in the end Mm -hmm. Um, and then for all of us just to reflect on okay where, where are we heading uh, is, is this is this our wake up call? Is this the wake up call to the world? I hope it is. I hope, I hope it is a wake up call. I hope it's not just a, a one year thing and everything goes back to normal. I hope because so, yeah. the normal wasn't working. Exactly, <laughs> we're here for a reason. Hopefully, that yes. that will make us change a little bit. It is a good opportunity to evaluate and to understand the impact 
that our actions yeah. have on everybody, on everything. Exactly. And I, I am very thankful that, that the show has allowed for all of these voices to be shared. And we can talk about this for for a very long time, but unfortunately, we are out of time. time. <laughs> Before we finish the show, I would, I would like to ask you if you could give us a little sneak peek of what's coming up in Cratchat in 2021. Yes, I can. Well, the good news is we are continuing. So hopefully everyone's very excited about that. And next year, of course, we will still have our grad students and our postdoctoral fellows coming on. I'd like to bring in some of our alumni who Ooh. have gone out and done some things and can spread some information for us. And I think next year, one of the things we're looking at is, you know, maybe we can do more chats in, in groups. So not just an individual, but maybe bringing in some more groups so, and talking about various topics but looking at from different angles so mm-hmm. we could talk about the lakes but then someone from environmental studies can talk about a lake the lakes someone from biology oh. someone from philosophy even from english so coming from different angles and showing that we can have a topic but the topic can be looked at in different, in different lenses that's excellent um, within, within research so you know like i said we want to change things just slightly we'll still have the odd one where it's just one student talking to me students can say lots which is fantastic but we'll bring in some of these other we'll get some little themes going and see how that works well it will remove the pressure of being put on the spot (laughs) (laughs) very true (laughs) that's wonderful that's that's fantastic i'm looking forward to that if it's okay, I would like to say one more thing um, to round off this year, if that's all right. Absolutely. I very much want to wish everyone a good new year. It's been a tough one, but mm-hmm. we can let, let's all stay positive because now we know 2021 already is going to be better. So please stay healthy uh, and safe um, yes. until we can we can really hit this pandemic on the head because it's not it hasn't gone just because we got the vaccine there's still a lot to do it's going to be a while before we all get vaccinated so please please still be safe and and look after yourselves and i'm wishing everyone a very very happy new year and i can't wait to do grad chat on cfrc in 2021 i echo what cj the dj just said thank you very much for that we all appreciate it and it's time to call it quits, unfortunately. But thank you very much again for letting me hijack your show <laughs> and for having okay. these amazing conversations with me. It's always fun. And I hope that you continue to enjoy the rest of your break. You deserve it too. Thank you. And yeah, everyone take a good break too. So maybe we should say the ending together. We should. So this is CJ the DJ and... Seeing the DJ bear singing off. With, with a, a big, big hooray. hooray. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Hey.